Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Esther, God's Perfect Work Through Imperfect People. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us look at some important God principles that we find in Esther 6. We're reminded that we can see the hand of God everywhere in our lives. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some pointers to get our lives in tune with God so we can see His rewards for the way we live, even in the midst of our problems, struggles, and conflicts. I was, uh, uh, you know, grew up in Spain, and so what I really enjoy doing is watching Spanish soccer. Um, I, I like sports, but what I really like is football, the soccer. And my, my hometown team, FC Barcelona, uh, I'll, I'll, I, like to, I love to watch those games. But because of the time difference uh, between California and Spain, I have to tape it, and then I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to watch it later on in the day. And a lot of the games are played on Sunday. And so um, one time, about three, four months ago, the game started at 9. Of course, I'm here at 9. And so I did that. I DVR'd it. I taped it. And uh, um, after second service, like 12.15-ish, someone from the church, a friend of mine, came up to me, and they said, what an exciting FC Barcelona game today. The way they won it right at the end was incredible. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, really? They just basically ruined it for me. And, and I know I'm not supposed to feel this way as a pastor, but I wanted to kick him in the throat. I wanted to call him a bad name. In fact, I actually had a name. I thought about it in my brain. It traveled through my mind. It came to the tip of my tongue. And I was going to call it to call him that name because God and I, we've got this deal where I can say three bad words a year and I don't get in trouble for it. You know, <laughs> normally I save those for Raider games, though, because you know how that goes, you know. Um, but I, you know, I'm in the church. It's the lobby. I'm the pastor. I probably shouldn't say this. So I exercised some self-control. I bit my tongue, right? Later on, I went home, right? I had lunch and I still watched the game and it was very exciting and it was very entertaining and it was back and forth. And sure enough, just like they said, my, my team came back right at the end and they won, right? But here's what I want to want to say to you about, about my watching that game for the hour and a half, two hours that I watched not once was I nervous. I was never stressed. I was never concerned. Do you know why? I knew the end. I knew that no matter how bad it got, I know, I, no matter how, how much, how down we were, no matter how, how, how desperate it looked like we were doing, I knew that in the end, we were going to win. I knew that. Now, do, do you realize that God does the same thing for us? And right at the end of, the, of this book, he, it is about 20 pages. And the whole point of those last 20 pages is God's like, you know what? I, I'm going to give away the end. I, I know it won't be as exciting, but, but I want you to know that in the end, no matter how bad it gets, even if you're down by three touchdowns with only a couple minutes to go, no matter how bad life gets, I want you to know that in the end, my team... That's us. In the end, we win. God wins. Now, that doesn't mean your problem goes away, but the work of God in your life, in the end, always wins. Now, God says that to you because he knows when life starts getting challenging and difficult, it, you can be afraid. 
And you can get worried. And it can hurt. And God doesn't say you're not allowed to feel. You still feel those things. But he gives away the end because he doesn't want you to be consumed by worry and consumed by stress. In the end, God wins. In the end, his team wins. Now, I say that to you because of how, how last week ended, where we've been going uh, through, through the book of Esther, through the story of Esther. And one of the heroes of the story, a guy by the name of Mordecai, he's, he's Esther, the queen's cousin. He, he runs into a rough spot at the end of last week. He, here's how last week ended, okay? Uh, chapter 5, there's a guy by the name of Haman. He's one of the bad guys. He's the evil prime minister that does not like the Jews and wants to kill them all, specifically Mordecai. And, and Haman's wife makes a suggestion to him. Why don't you have some gallows built? This all happens in the last verse. Why would I do that, sweetheart? Because then, tomorrow morning, you can hang Mordecai. So at the end of chapter 5, Haman's like, now that's a good idea. And so he jumps into his pickup truck. He heads down to Home Depot. He hires 20 guys. He takes them back to the house. He goes, here's what I want. You want to, I want you working all night. What do you mean all night? All night. You're working during the night. My first cup of coffee in the morning, you guys better have the gallows built. So Haman goes to sleep hearing the hammer and the nails as these guys are building the gallows. And Haman's happy. I wonder how Mordecai felt. I think he felt. I wonder if any of us feel like Mordecai today. There's something in life that's about ready to die. There's something we care about that we're about ready to lose. There's hurt in our life. There's pain in our life. There's trials. There's problems in our life. And we go to bed wondering if tomorrow morning we're going to have it or not. My guess is that some of us feel like Mordecai. First suggestion Don't forget, the problem may not go away, but don't forget that in the end, God's work in your life always wins. But the second encouragement, I think, comes from chapter 6, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. Chapter 6, I think, is going to be an encouragement to you, even in the midst of gallows being built for you. Chapter 6, verse 1, here's how it starts. It says, that night the king, Xerxes, could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought and to read to him. Now, what is about ready to transpire in chapter 6 is the pivot point to turn this whole story around. For, for up until now, in five chapters, everything's gone wrong, essentially, for Esther and, and for Mordecai and for the Jewish people. Even her becoming queen wasn't as good or glamorous as some people make it out to be. But in chapter 6, everything begins to turn. And it all begins on that night. You go, what night? The very same night that they are building the gallows. If it had happened one night later, it would have been too late. It happened right at the 11th hour. Isn't it amazing that so so many times God works that way? He takes you right to the edge. It's not because he's trying to mess with your mind. It's not because he's playing chicken with you. It's because he's trying to build your faith. Trust me. Yeah, I'm going to take you to the edge. Trust me. Right to the very end. That night it all started. And what happened that night? Well, Xerxes could not sleep. Haman is sleeping even while they're building the gallows outside of his house. Mordecai is sleeping even though he might lose his life the next night, the next day. 
Queen, the Queen Esther is sleeping. All of the city of Susa is sleeping. The only dude not sleeping is the poor king. He can't sleep. Now, we are not told why he could not sleep. We aren't told why. Maybe, maybe he drank two Red Bulls for dinner. No one told him that's going to keep him up. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's worried about the budget meeting coming up this week. Maybe, maybe he's trying to, he's thinking about what country should I invade next? Maybe he's, he's wondering, what does my wife want? I mean, that was chapter five. Esther comes to the king, her husband, and said, there's something I want from you. There's something I need from you, but I can't bring myself to ask you yet. She wants to ask him to save the Jews, but she can't get it out. Maybe he's wondering about that. We don't know what's going on in the king's mind, why that keeps him awake at night. We don't know that, but we know what's going on in God's mind. You see, the reason that the king is up is not because of whatever's going on in his mind, but because of what's going on in God's mind. And God is going to prompt Xerxes to do something that's going to turn the whole story around. And it got me thinking. Have you ever gone to a zoo? I know they have it at the Oakland Zoo because I've gone in it. They they call it the nocturnal uh, exhibit. The nocturnal exhibit, you walk in, it's kind of like a, it feels like you're going in a cave. It's dark. And you go in, and normally the animals are kind of smallish. But, but, but these are the animals that we never see during the day, because during the day they're resting. What They come out at night. They do their thing at night, right? And on every exhibit, they always have these little posters that kind of get you interested in what's going on. One of the posters at these kind of exhibits, this is what it said, literally, quote, While you are resting, nature is busily at work, helping to balance... This li- uh, keep, helping to keep the balance of life stable. And I thought, that's exactly what God does. While you and I are sleeping, he's not sleeping. He's up, busily at work, doing everything he needs to do to make sure the next day turns out exactly how he's, as he wants. What does the book of Lamentations say? His compassion is new every morning. His blessings is new every morning. You know Why? Because he's up at night making sure that you and I have blessings every single morning. Some of us rode in our blessings and they're parked in the lot right now. All the good things come from the Lord. He keeps blessing us. He keeps blessing us. Of all things that the king decided to do. He can't sleep. Of all things, it's rather humorous when you think of it that he asked for the book of Chronicles. Think about all his options. He's king. He could have said, bring me a sandwich. Bring me a bottle of wine. This guy liked to drink. Bring me some wine. Bring me one of my concubines. If I'm going to be awake, I might as well have a concubine. Um, I want a massage, right? Um, Bring the musicians. I want to play backgammon. He could have asked for anything. He's king. Of all things, he asks for an obscure book for the populace. It's called the book of Chronicles, right? Now, notice it says it was the record of his reign, not the story of his reign. You see, it's fun to listen to stories. You know, they're not bringing him a Dr. Seuss book. This isn't like a spy novel kind of a book. No, this is the record. It reads like an agenda. It reads like the meetings from a min- from, from uh, the, the, the me- uh, minutes from a meeting. It's not that exciting, except for one dude, Xerxes, because he likes hearing about himself. So the servant's like, you want the, yeah, bring me the book of Chronicles, 
right? And so you can imagine the servants like, is there any section you want me to start with? Nope. So, you know, he does what we do with our Bible. He just starts to, boom. Okay, I'll start right here. You ready, King? Yeah, ready. Here we go. Okay, uh, on, it says here, May 10th, 343 BC, Mr. Thomas returned your call about reupholstering the golden throne. That was nice that he did that. He did good work on that. Uh, May 11th, Dr. Petra gives his most grateful praise and adoration for the donkey, uh, the donation of a donkey to the children's hospital. That was really nice that you did that, King. Uh, May the 12th, you meet, you met with General Zerko to discuss invasion of Greece and begin plans next month. May 13, Tomica Plumbing unplugged the drains in the guest bathroom and fixed the leaky faucet in the palace kitchen. And as he had a reading, and these guys droning on, the king's, his eyelids are, it's having its effect. He's starting to doze back to sleep. And then it happened. Then it happened. May 13, 343 B.C., Mordecai of Zusa has on this day rendered an exemplary service to the crown by thwarting an assassination plot on the life of the king. Xerxes will be forever in his debt. May 14th, Nancy Nolan met with the king. Wait a minute. Read that again. Um, May 14th, Nancy. No, not that part. The part about the Jewish guy and about how he thwarted that assassination attempt. What does it say about that? I, I vaguely remember it, but remind me what happened. I'm glad you asked, because that's what verse 2 says. Look at what it says. It was found there recorded that Mordecai had exposed Dikthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway. They had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. This is at the end of chapter 2. It's about five verses. We skipped over it. We, read, we didn't read it. We referenced it just briefly. But Mordecai, because he was at the, 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 one of the inner courts, he heard an assassination attempt. He told the right people, and that ended up saving the king. They have it recorded in the book of Chronicles. The king remembers it in the middle of the night while he's trying to fall back to sleep, and they're reading this book to him. And he has an important question for the guy that's reading. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? What do we do for him? Did we, did we create a, a national holiday in his, you know, with his name on it to honor him? Did we give him a gift card? Did we give him a, a cruise to the Caribbean? What did we do to honor him? Nothing. We did, we did nothing. You see, Pastor, that, that's kind of, honestly, I don't want to go on a tangent, Pastor, but that's kind of how I feel. I feel like Mordecai. I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm, try, I'm trying to live according to what the, what the good book says. And, you know, I try and apply what you say on Sundays. But it seems like I, do, I try all these things. And, and then in the end, what, what do I get out of it? I get, I get like Mordecai. I get nothing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not supposed to say this as a Christian, but, you know, honestly, uh, you were saying last week that you can't see the name of, of God in the book of Esther. I can't see the presence of God in my life sometimes. I can't hear his voice. And honestly, if, if, if I just, can I say this? Where is he? I can't see him in my life. What's going on? Reminds me of this teacher. She was a second grade teacher and she was an atheist. She didn't believe in God. And somehow or another, the conversation got about the topic of God. And so she started talking to her second graders about how she didn't believe in God. And little Tommy, second grader, he says, well, my family, we believe in God. We go to church. You know, she says, Tommy, come over here. Stand by the window. I want you to look outside. She says, you see that tree? He goes, uh-huh. You see that grass? Yeah. He goes, look up into the air. Look up in the sky. What do you see? 
Well, I see some, uh, some clouds, I see a couple birds, and I see the sun. She said, do you see God? Uh-uh. She goes, you know why you don't see God? You don't see him because he doesn't exist. You see, if you don't see something, likely it means that it's not there. It doesn't exist. Don't forget that. If you can't see it, likely it doesn't exist. Poor little Tom, he's all defeated. He goes and he sits back down. As soon as he sat down, one of his classmates sitting right next to him, a little girl says, hey, Tommy, can you see the chalkboard in the front of the classroom? Uh-huh. Can you see our teacher standing right next to the, to, to the chalkboard? Yeah. The little girl says, can you see her brain? Just because you don't see something doesn't mean it's not there. Just because the name of God isn't in the book of Esther, just because you can't hear the voice of God in your life, if you looked carefully, you would see the hand of God everywhere present in your life. Bible commentators, interestingly enough, talk about this section right here, and they talk about the coincidences of the book of Esther. Think about all the coincidences that had to happen for this to turn out the way it did. On this particular one night, the king can't sleep. On this one particular night that the king can't sleep, he asks for an obscure book to be read to him instead of all the other options he had. In the midst of this, of this obscure book, he chooses the one chapter, the one section that reminds him of the one Jew and what he did for them and that he, didn't for, he forgot to reward him. And all those coincidences resulted in the whole story turning around and God getting the glory. Someone has said that coincidence is nothing more than God's way of remaining anonymous in your life. He works through coincidences. He works through all those little details that you and I don't see. And why do I bring this up? Because some of us do feel like Mordecai. We don't sense his presence when we do good things and we get nothing. Which leads us to the first principle. Here's the first principle and it's important. Guaranteed, mark it down 100% of the time. I realize I'm being redundant there. I'm doing that on purpose. I'm trying to make a point. The point is this. You can take it to the bank. God sees the good you do. The way some of you are taking care of your elderly parents, God sees that. Those of you who are single moms and you're taking care of your kids and no one's... God sees that. The good things you do at work, the good things you do at this church, the good things you do at your school, your community, your neighborhood, that no one sees and no one seems to appreciate... God does see the good things you do and will always, every single time, reward you. Every single time. So the whole point is be encouraged. I may not see it. Your spouse may not see it. Your kids may not see it. Your boss may not see it. Your friends may not see it. And if we do see it, maybe sometimes we don't appreciate you the way we should. But God does see it. And he promises you, guarantees, take it to the bank every time. I'll reward you for the good you do. See, the question is not, will God reward you? The only question is, when will he reward you? It's all about timing. He, will, he has three options. He will either reward you immediately. And that happens many times. We get, a, we, we get a reward right away, whether it's at work or like we mentioned the car or something nice or... All good and perfect gifts come from the Lord. 
and get, we get rewarded right away. Sometimes you got to wait. You got to wait. Mordecai waited five years to get his reward. Some, some, some of us here are single, and, and we really would like to get married. It, you might have to wait on it. That's not going to happen during the, the donut hour in between services. I mean, you're going to have to work hard for it to happen during that time. You might have to wait. Some rewards, they take some time. Some of them come right away. Some of them come after a little bit of time. And some of them come after a long time. As in, you don't get it till you get to heaven. You will have to wait your 80 or plus years of life before you get it. But be encouraged anyway. Keep living right anyway. Because God sees everything you do and every single time will reward you. You just may have to wait a long time sometimes. Reminds me of the story of a president, uh, of a missionary. This missionary who had just worked in Africa as a missionary for 50 years. He happened to be on the same boat as the president. Uh, this is way back when. And um, so the boat comes to, uh, to dock in, in New York City. The president had been in Africa for a 10-day safari trip. And because he's the president, he gets to get off the ship first, right? So the, the missionary is just, you know, sitting on the veranda there watching, and the president gets off, and there's this big crowd of people cheering and encouraging and welcoming the president home, and you the man, right? That's what's happening, right? And as the missionary is sitting there, he starts to think, and he kind of starts to say to God, he goes, you know, I mean, I realize the president's important. Don't get me wrong, God, but he just came back from a 10-day vacation, 10 days, and he has this big crowd of people welcoming him, thanking him, appreciating him for who he is. I've given you 50 years of my life. I've served you for 50 years in a very difficult part of the world. And I come home, and I get nothing. Why? And then God whispered in his ear, because, son, you're not home yet. You're not home and so I want you to be encouraged. I know some of us, like Mordecai, are, are living the right way and doing the right things and saying the right things. And It's not like we're doing it for recognition, but sure would be nice if every once in a while someone said, thank you, I appreciate it. That may not happen until you get to heaven. But when you get to heaven, guaranteed, every time God will reward you. You see, that's why Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's why Paul says in Colossians, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't be worried about what's going on in earth. And when he says worried, he means consumed by it. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm honestly, and most theologians do not know how rewards are going to work in heaven. But they are plainly and clearly taught in God's word. Some people go, it's like going to a football game. You go to a football game, some people, they, they get to sit third deck behind the end zone. Well, at least you get to go to a game, but those aren't the best seats, I guess. Other people get to see, sit 50-yard line in a private booth where they serve you food. Now, were both people at the game? Yeah. Who had better seats? 50-yard line. That's what heaven's going to be like. Other people go, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like going to a concert. If I went to a concert with my friend and our worship pastor, Joy, I go to a concert with him, we both would enjoy it, but likely he would appreciate it more than I do. Why? Because he studied music. You know, he, he studied how to put notes together and how to make it sound good and transitions and yada, yada. I have not studied any of that. I just like to listen to my iPod and music. See, that's how heaven's going to be like. Some people would just appreciate it more because of what they did when they were on earth. 
right? I, I don't know. Some people go, no, 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 it has nothing to do with that. Maybe, maybe you just, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get a, a nicer car to drive or you get an upgrade on your meal plan or you get a nicer house to live in. I don't know. It's like these two guys that, that go to end up to heaven at the same time. Bus driver and a preacher, a pastor. Bus driver comes up, sells his name to uh, Peter and, and he looks up and he goes, oh, we have a wonderful 30 bedroom mansion reserved for you for eternity. Congratulations. And he's all excited. They take off, right? The pastor overhears this. Pastor thinks to himself, oh my goodness. If the bus driver got a 30 bedroom mansion, what am I going to get? I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? He gets up. He says his name. Peter says, yes, pastor, we have reserved for you for eternity, a nice three bedroom condo. And he goes, three-bedroom condo? The bus driver got a 30-bedroom mansion. Uh, I get a three-bedroom condo. I was a pastor. I, I was a minister of the gospel. Why? He goes, relax, pastor. Let me check this out. Oh, here it is right here. here yeah. It seems that when you preached, people slept. But when the bus driver drove, people prayed. So there you go. That's why. <laughs> Actually, that wasn't meant to be funny at all. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works, but you can choose to trust the Bible or not. And here's what the Bible says. Guaranteed, mark it down 100% of the time. God sees the good you do. And someday he will say, do you remember that one thing you did? Do you remember that one, those words that you spoke? Here, let me show you what I'm going to reward you. It, we don't we don't love God and obey God uh, to get that, but that's sure a nice bonus, don't you think? So be encouraged. Keep living the right way. Keep doing the right thing because it pays off in the end. Story goes on. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. The king said, who's in court? Right? He just woke up. Oh my goodness, we haven't rewarded, we haven't rewarded Mordecai. Who's in court? Who's from my cabinet is here? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had just set up. And the uh, king's attendants answered, Haman is standing in court. Bring him in, the king ordered. Do you see the irony of what's going on here? The king desperately, as quickly as possible, wants to find someone so that he could honor Mordecai. Uh, Haman showed up early to court because he quickly, desperately wants to get the king's approval so he can kill Mordecai. And they are both meeting. This is just awesome how this is setting itself up, right? Watch. Haman entered. The king asked him, let me ask you a hypothetical question, Haman. What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? I got this one dude, Haman, that I really like. And I really want a reward. What do you think we should do? I love what Haman says. Now, Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? <gasps> right? I'm going to put the Mordecai thing to the side, right? He wants suggestions. I'm going to lay it on thick. And this is what he says to him. Watch. He says, I used, to, I used to do four things. First of all, bring a royal robe the king has worn. I don't want nothing from Macy's or Nordstrom. No, no, no. I want something you've worn and I want to wear it. Wow. Second, I want a horse the king has ridden. Don't be bringing me some old horse that they take to the fair and the kids ride on. I don't think so. I want one of your horses. 
right? That's what you should do. Get nice clothes that you've worn, horse that you've ridden. I want you to get a royal crest, in other words, a crown. Then I want you to get, it says right in the middle, some of the most royal, the most noble princesses. In other words, get someone important that you know. Get someone important. And what you do is you have this person put the robe on, put the crown on, and you're going to have that person walk the horse with that person on top of the horse through the city streets proclaiming, Hear ye, hear ye, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor in. Hear ye, hear ye, the king loves this man. Hear ye, hear ye, everyone bow down to this wonderful specimen of an individual. That's what you should do, king. I mean, whatever you want, but that's what I would do. Oh, this is awesome, right? You can't write this any better. Verse 10. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse. Do just as you have suggested. That is awesome ideas. And what I want you to do is do that for Mordecai the Jew. When I get to heaven, the first DVD I'm checking out of the library is this sucker right here. Because I want to see his face. Can you imagine what he thought? And then the king adds, um, do not neglect anything you have recommended. It's like the king forgot or didn't know they had a grudge. I want you to do it. How did that conversation go between Haman and Mordecai? Oh, I would have loved to be there. Haman comes up to Mordecai. Mordecai's sitting there doing his job. Mordecai's like, dude, man, I told you I'm not bowing down to you. I'm not shaking your hand. I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I'm, I'm here for something else. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, no, bring the robe, bring the robe. Uh, yeah, the king wants me to, and he explains to him the situation, right? Mordecai's like, okay then. Here, help, he helps him on. Can you help me up into the horse, Haman? Just kneel down there, let me... Right, he gets on. You know, Haman's walking him through the city. Hear ye, hear ye. You know, if I'm Mordecai, I'm like, say it a little louder. I like it, we say it louder. You know, I would have milked that thing, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so how, here's how chapter 6 ends, verse 12. It says that afterwards Mordecai returned to the king's gate. I think that's pretty cool. Doesn't let him get to his head. He's like, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going back to work. You know, um, I'm not taking the day, half of the day off. So it says something about Mordecai. Notice, Haman rushed home and with his head covered in grief. In other words, I'm humiliated, right? He told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Now, remember the last time he talked to her, and the friends, they came up with the idea to kill Mordecai. So now he comes home and says, you are not going to believe what the king made me do today. Then his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, now listen to this. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, in other words, hubby, you're going down. In the, in the Hebrew, the word fall is used three times in the, at the end of this verse, three times. The emphasis is, Haman, your career is like going this direction. And notice what she says, why she says this to him. Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin. In other words, you know how they call themselves God's people? You know how they said there's only one true God? You know how they say that in the end, God and his work and kingdom and people's lives always wins? You know how they keep saying that? Maybe it's true. 
He's of Jewish origin and you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. You see, here's the first principle. God sees all the good you do, all the good you do and will reward you. Haman is the flip side of the coin. Here's the flip side. Let me show you. It's the second principle. Guaranteed, mark it down 100% of the time. God sees the issues we have. Notice I put it in quotation marks. This is me trying to be nice. When I say issues, I mean dysfunction. I mean conflict. I mean problems. I mean garbage. I mean sin. God sees all the good stuff you do, whether we see it or not. He sees it all and will reward you. And he also sees all of your garbage. I want you to imagine that I had information on everything you had done or said in the last month. And I chose the most awful thing you either did or said and put it on the screen right now. Make you feel pretty uncomfortable. Me too. God sees everything. He sees everything. The good and the not so good. But he sees the issues we have and will always, every single time, challenge you and help you and encourage you and give you every possible opportunity to change. You see, the whole point about God, the whole point about church is not just salvation, it's also sanctification. The whole point of God is not just so you get to go to heaven for eternity. The point of God is so that you are changed, transformed, and redeemed now. Yes, he loves you as you are now. He loves you now. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are because you have issues and so do I. So he will do anything and everything he can to help you change. Or else. Because that's what it says there, right? God sees all the issues we have, will always every time challenge us to change. Or else. How, How would you finish that sentence? Think about it. Or else. You don't want to change? Fine. I'm not going to twist your arm, says God. Fine. If you don't, you can expect my discipline. Or sometimes he doesn't discipline us at all. Here's what he does. He says, okay, you want to do that? Go ahead. Have your way. Have your, you, no, no, you do your thing. You want to keep putting drugs, alcohol, and too much food in your body? Fine. Go ahead. You just go ahead. You will have the opportunity to experience the consequences of your behavior. No, no, you do your own thing. You want to keep speaking to your spouse and your kids or your parents that way? Okay, have your way. Let, let's see where your marriage ends up in five years. No, you do your thing. No, 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 you don't, no, that's fine. You want to keep cheating your boss from a full day's worth of work and keep cheating on your expense accounts and doing what you do to get away with stuff? Okay, go ahead, do your thing. So let's see what happens to your career a couple years from now. Sometimes he disciplines us, course correction, and sometimes he says, just have your way. But you see, there's always an or else, every single time. 
At the bottom of, of the study guide, the, the second page, it's a very famous verse, Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, you behave and live your life however you want. It's up to you. God will never twist your arm. All the good you do, he will reward. All the not so good you do, well, that's the flip side of the coin. You know, I, me, I enjoy watching Haman squirm here. I do. You probably do too. And then I start thinking, I don't think God does. When I read my Bible, it says in the, in the New Testament, God is patient with everyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think even Haman, his goal for Haman, his goal for you is not to spank you. His goal is to change you. His goal is to redeem you. And I think everything that happens in this chapter, even for Haman, is God saying to Haman, you still have a chance to change. The king talks to him. Haman, change. He has him walk the horse with Mordecai around the city. Haman, change. His wife says, you better watch out. Haman, change. And he says the same thing to so many of us. I can't help but wonder if God is somewhat disappointed with some of us. Because he saved us and you get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Good for you. But we've not changed. We, we don't change. Let me tell you what's going on here and let me explain it this way. Let's say these two, um, two glasses represent uh, our life or people's lives. And let's just say the water represents, you know, our soul or who we are on the inside, right? Now, when we come to Christ, when we embrace Jesus as our personal Savior, the Bible tells us uh, that we get the Holy Spirit. Just for the sake of this argument and discussion, the Holy Spirit is some Alka-Seltzer, right? It says here, for heartburn, upset stomach, acid injection, uh, headache, and body aches. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for you, but not physically, he does it spiritually. All that garbage that we have, he goes at the task of changing it and fixing it, right? So the Bible says when you come to Jesus, which is not an intellectual decision only, it's a decision right here. It's a choice to say, I believe in Jesus and I ask him to forgive me of my sins. What you get is you get the Holy Spirit, right? So here's how it works. You get the Holy Spirit in your life. And he starts to bubble up in your, in your soul, and something starts to happen, and he's, he's talking to you and convicting you and challenging you, and you go to work and you go to school and you go back to home, and people are thinking, there's something different about them. They don't drop as many F-bombs, and they seem kinder, and they, well, why are they acting the way they're acting? It's because the Holy Spirit is in you, and you're allowing him to change, transform, and redeem you. And this is a good thing. But, but here's what I think confuses God sometimes. Some of us, we come to Jesus, we pray that prayer in Sunday school, or we pray that prayer at youth group, or after a, a sermon, and we too, we too, we get the Holy Spirit. But with us, it works a little different. Does this person have the Holy Spirit in them? Yeah. Do they get to go to heaven? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit changes them nothing. Because you are not allowing him to change you. 
And here's what makes it worse. We say, I love Jesus, I go to church, I believe in God. But then we go home and we go to work and nothing's different. And people start thinking to themselves who've never been to church or really paid attention to Jesus, start thinking, must be a bunch of baloney because what's his face over there? They go to church. They say they believe in Jesus, but no change whatsoever. So I'm just going to ask you to be honest. What glass best represents your life? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to truly identify those areas you need to work on and change you? Or are you just playing games? And no, I'm, I'm happy. We'll be in heaven together. That's good. But there's an or else at the end of your story. What best represents you? See, I guess what I want you to know more than anything else is what you do matters. How you live matters. What you choose, it really matters. And let me just wrap up and say this. Of all the choices you could make, the most important choice that matters the absolute most, the one choice and decision that you will get the greatest reward is the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That not only do you get the reward of eternity with God, but you get the reward of the Holy Spirit that at least gives you the opportunity to work on the way you talk and the person you are, and it gives you that opportunity. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, if you've never made that choice, why not today? Why not today? Our summary is never forget how you live matters. The good you do, every little bit of it, God sees and he will reward. And the not so good, his challenges make some changes. Make some changes for God's glory and your benefit. But if you don't, expect there to be an or else. So we get motivated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is good and it's encouraging. And for so many of us today, it's what we needed to hear. Because we really are trying to live for you. We truly are trying to obey you. And yet, while we don't live for praise and we don't live for appreciation, it sure is nice when every once in a while someone says thank you. But now we've been reminded that while our spouse and our boss and our pastor and our friends and our co-workers, they may not say thank you. In the end, someday you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's encouraging and that's motivating. And that helps me keep living for you. Father, it's also been quite eye-opening to, to realize that all that garbage and those issues in my life, if I don't work on them, because you love me, you will give me the opportunity to either experience um, the challenges of my choices or you will discipline me. Help us live in a way that honors you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, but as you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I... I don't think I've got the Alka-Seltzer in my life. I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. I, I believe in a lot of these things, but I've never made the choice to say yes to Jesus. If you want to do that this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this, this simple prayer in your heart. Dear God, I believe that Jesus was your son. I believe that he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death for my sins. He rose from the dead, proving 
that he was who he said he was. And today, the best I know how, God, I, I don't know everything in the Bible, but I know enough to say yes to your son, Jesus. I make the choice to embrace him as the savior of my life, the forgiver of my sins. I make the choice to make him the Lord of my life, the boss of my life. He gets to direct me from here on out. Dear God, cleanse me, change me. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, for everyone today that prayed that prayer, I pray that they would know that you rejoice within them. Remind them that they, while they may not yet feel the Holy Spirit bubbling within their soul, give them patience, give them time, give them the right ears to hear from you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, real quick before we wrap up, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, could you just do me a favor and encourage me? Just put your hand up real quick so I could see you and pray for you. I see that hand in the back. Anyone else? Five, six hands. Anyone else? Put it up high real quick and you can put it down. Heavenly Father, for the ten or so people right here today in the second service, the eight or nine in the first service, and then the few that maybe made that decision but didn't raise their hand, but they meant it. Heavenly Father, we are so encouraged that you continue to work and move in our church. But Father, for many of us that prayed that prayer years ago, you've reminded us today that you are a fair God. You notice that you see and you never forget the good we do. Father, also be, may we be motivated to continue to become like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word, how practical it is. We pray this all in Jesus' name. All God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.